Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to the MCAS podcast. My name is Matthew Castaneda, and I'm glad and I'm excited to bring you guys back for episode three. Um, episode two was uh, was definitely a great one with uh, TJ Roberts and Chris Weist. I think is how you say it. I keep mispronouncing his name somehow. You know, we're talking about the lockdowns in Kentucky. In Kentucky, sorry for that misspoke Joe Biden moment. <laughs> but um, now for this episode, I brought on um, state house representative candidate in the state of Florida for House District 52. Um, his name is Chandler Langevin. Um, Chandler, good evening. How are you doing today? Good. It's nice to be on your podcast, man. How are you doing? Yeah, of course. I, I'm, yeah, it's, I'm doing great. You know, and it was a pleasant surprise. Like you announced, to be honest, like in political terms, quite early. Like, in fact, I was asking friends and I heard about your candidacy. I'm like, is there a special election going on or something? And they're just like, no, he's running 2022. I'm like, oh, so, you know, talk about getting a head start for sure. So, you know, I mean, obviously for any, unless any listeners here are from Florida or from your area, know your name, um, just tell us who you are, you know, your background is and, you know, who's Chandler Langevin? Yeah, so I'm a born and raised Floridian. I was born up in the Panhandle. Um, I'm from Niceville, Florida, same town that Matt Gates is from. But at the age of 10, we moved down here to Brevard County. I've been in Brevard County since then. I graduated from Titusville High School, got my associate's degree from Eastern Florida State College. Um, I enlisted in the Navy Reserves at 18. And shortly after getting my associate's degree, I got called up to go to Afghanistan. I did a seven-month deployment there. Um, after that, I had a lot of money saved up, so I decided I was going to take a gap year and go study the effects of communism in other countries. So I actually traveled the world for a year. I lived in Cambodia for a little bit, the Republic of Georgia for a little bit, Slovakia for a little bit. And I got to talk to a lot of people who lived under communist regimes. I got to go to the killing fields in Cambodia. I got to wow. see the destruction that the Soviet Union caused on the GDP of Georgia. And it really motivated me to be like, hey, big government is not the way. <laughs> yeah, got like that's basically the, the end result of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and it was, was horrifying. That, yeah. So, I can imagine. I was just about to ask, like, how yeah. was that like? I mean, I'm sure you obviously had special protections being, you know, in the service and everything. You know, of course, being a traveler. Like, how was that? Like, how was that lifestyle compared to the United States? Like, how like how the people look, their livelihoods? Like, how was the environment there overall? like the exact opposite in a lot of ways. Um, some of the countries have recovered to some extent, like Slovakia is doing a lot better. Now they're part of the EU, um, you know, still not perfect, but countries like Cambodia and the Republic of Georgia are still just, you know, suffering immensely compared to what, you know, they could be at right now. Like when the Soviet Union pulled out of Georgia, they immediately stripped half their GDP overnight. And then um, a corrupt president shortly after that in the nineties took what was left. So. <laughs> You know, you, like, a, I, like a puppet state, essentially, essentially. Yeah. So uh, I was sleeping in villages that had no power still to this day. Um, wow. Yeah, it was wild. So, um, yeah. And then from there, I came back home and then was immediately redeployed to the Pacific. So and I was actually in the uh, in Japan and Korea when COVID broke out. Our deployment got extended and I finally came back to Florida and kind of in the middle of this I call it a government pandemic more than anything, but um, I came back in about uh, July to Florida. Oh, wow. That was really recent. Yeah. yeah. So, which, like, especially now you can sit, you know, that you mentioned that, you know, you've literally just come back to Florida, like, what was it, like, not even a year ago, you said? So, yep. like, what inspired you to get into politics, like, so quickly after coming back from Florida? I mean, and you, you did a lot of service for the country. I don't think that many other people can, you know, dare say that they've done. So, what made you want to start, um, you know, run for office or again back into politics once you came back? 
Right. So I was always interested in politics. I always followed it. Um, I was deployed in Afghanistan when Trump got elected. I was up at five o'clock in the morning watching the election results. Um, I've always been really interested in politics. As soon as I came back, I were in a pre another presidential election cycle, a lot going on. So I decided I had the opportunity. I'm going to dive into it. And I accepted a request from Young Americans for Liberty to go work on Operation Win at the Door. And I told them, though, that, you know, I just got back. I don't want to go to New Hampshire, West Virginia. If there's I'm only doing it if there's a campaign in Florida. So I get a call a week later saying, hey, you know what? We're endorsing this guy who's awesome. Sponsor of constitutional carry. I'm a big 2A guy, by the way. Sponsor of constitutional carry. His name's Anthony Sabatini. He's over in Lake County. He's only two hours away from you. Do you want to go work on his campaign? Actually, like, now you mention that. Yeah. Weren't we the ones having that conversation? Because I remember having that type of call when I was working there a while back. Like, I remember Maybe. having that call with somebody. Yeah, our, our mutual friend, uh, Logan, was my election director for that one. And so that's how I ended mm -hmm. up meeting Logan. And um, Ian Escalante is the state chair, but he came and worked on the campaign and stayed um, with us, too. So. Yeah, he, he's the regional director now for that for that yeah. area. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know him pretty well. No, that's, that's quite the coincidence. I almost didn't realize yeah. that. So I'm like, like, I had a feeling like your name was familiar somewhere. I'm just like, I don't know how, but, you know, I mean, as you could see, and I've been, you know, I'm no longer part of the organization. Obviously, obviously I'm still very supportive of the cause that they're, you know, that they're committed to, um, you know, to getting Liberty legislators elected into office, you know, but nonetheless, so, you know, obviously being a Liberty loving guy, you know, like myself, um, what are your thoughts like on Florida? Because usually like for perspective, I'm a Jersey native, right? I'm, I've right. never been a biggest fan of you know, New Jersey government whatsoever, you know, mostly in both yeah. parties. I mean, we literally have a, the leading Republican state assemblyman has gotten Fs from the NRA, the NRA, like, wow, like he's supposed to be the lead Republican, you know, he's supposed to push conservative values, but yeah. they're just simply not doing that. So like, tell me like, what are your thoughts on like what Florida is like, you know, the, the leadership there in the legislature, you know, the governor Ron DeSantis, like what are your thoughts on, uh, on the Florida, on the leaders in Florida now? Yeah. So that's a great topic because, um, everyone knows Florida right now is the free state of Florida. And we are, for the most part. Um, we're very lucky that we have Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, his, the way he handled COVID. And, you know, make no mistake, we did close for a little bit during COVID. And that mm -hmm. is something that I still tell people and need to be addressed. But where I really like Ron DeSantis is the fact that he came out later and very early and said, hey, you know, I was working with the best information I had. But now I realize that was not a good idea. I'm never going to do that again. He essentially admitted, hey, he was wrong. I'm sorry. Let's move on and let's get our economy back on track. And for a politician to do right. that takes a, takes a lot. Yeah, not um, many people, so, not many politicians do that for sure. Yeah. So I can still give him 100% credit for doing that. And, um, you know, we wouldn't be the free state of Florida that we are today if it wasn't for Governor Ron DeSantis. And the reason I say that is because... The rest of the uh, kind of state party, especially in the legislature, is mostly a bunch of rhinos. Mm -hmm. um, they're not much better, probably a little bit better than what you've got up in New Jersey, but yeah. they're not significantly better. And honestly, they're not willing to do what it needs to take. And had we had the establishment, because Ron DeSantis wasn't the establishment guy running in the governor election. Um, wasn't that Adam Putnam is how you pronounce his name? Adam Putnam, yeah. And he's just a typical good old boy, swamp creature Republican, and make no mistake, had he been elected and become the governor of our state, we would be facing the exact same thing that a lot of these so-called conservative states are facing right now with mask mandates. And still to this day, we have conservative states out there with 50% capacity in restaurants and mask mandates. 
Well, how is that conservative? Doesn't make any sense. And that's what Florida would have been had we not had Ron DeSantis, because that is what our the standard swamp creature in Tallahassee is like. So DeSantis kind of him being in office and doing all these awesome things is kind of masking that a little bit. So I like to get out and tell people like, hey, pun intended. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I like to get out and, and remind people of that. And that's why I'm running is because the, the guy that I'm running against is one of those spineless swamp creature. He's a real establishment puppet, honestly. Um, really no original ideas, just kind of does whatever the lobbyists tell him to do. And a lot of time that's involving voting against conservative values. Like in 2018, and this was one of the big bills that the Republican Party pushed that got me really going from Republicans all the way to, oh, wait, maybe sometimes they do make mistakes and we need to hold them, our own party, accountable and make yeah. sure that they're enforcing our conservative values is the Parkland bill. Um, after the Parkland yep. shooting, our Florida conservative legislator, quote unquote, had an immediate knee jerk reaction session. Let me remind everybody, we have a super majority in the Florida House and a solid majority in the Florida Senate, and we have a Republican governor. And at the time, we still had a Republican governor. We had Rick Scott, same situation. And a knee-jerk reaction. They came, they were in session already, passed the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas bill, which essentially stripped the Second Amendment from every single 18, 19, and 20-year-old Floridian. At the time, 18, 18 and up, you could buy a shotgun or a rifle. Now, has to be 21 and up to buy any type of firearm whatsoever. Um, they extended the um, the waiting period from three days to five days, and they implemented red flag laws, which, in my opinion, are not only against the Second Amendment, they're against the Fourth Amendment. They violate yeah. due process, and they put our citizens and our brave law enforcement officers at risk because now law enforcement officers have to go you know, enforce these risk protection orders. So, And that's a, that's a very scary thing to, to be in for no reason because it's against the, the Constitution. So um, that was our Republican legislators that passed that. And since then, we've had guys like Anthony Sabatini go up in, in session and file constitutional carry and file bills to try to make us a Second Amendment sanctuary state. And they are met with deaf ears. He's seen as, uh, you know, this outsider when he's just trying to pass common Republican bills. I mean, Texas just passed constitutional carry and they're a mm -hmm. larger state than we are with a bigger population. So it doesn't really make any sense, but it does make sense because our Senate president at the moment, Wilton Simpson, Got hundred, got like a hundred thousand or more dollars from an anti-gun pack, and then said, "Oh, you know, um, I can take the money, but it doesn't mean I'm anti-gun. I might as well just spend it if they're going to give it to me, you know." But then immediately we have a Democrat as the chairman of the Judiciary Committee in the Senate, and no senators willing to file constitutional carry on the Senate side or anything that's good on the House side, gun-wise. Right. It's so, almost like they sent that money to him for a reason. Right, right. Like, what was the last time you got, like, what What you said, a $150,000 check? Like, ah, oh, here you go, you know, just because, you know, I'm charitable, you know. Don't yeah. ignore my name, you know. There's clearly no interest here, nothing to see here, you know. But Yeah. <laughs> Which, that, that's crazy. a good smile. That's what it was. Right. I exactly, you know, just doing that with yeah. the smile is just, like, you know what to do. Um. So, with that, Altman, like, tell me more about this guy. Because you said he's a rhino. I'm assuming he's probably voted for at least some of these, Um, you know, I guess, you know, non-conservative measures, frankly. Like, like, tell me more about him. Like, tell me how, you know, he plays the role in this and why you're ultimately challenging him. Challenging him, I mean. Yeah, so there's a few, you know, few main things come to mind. The first one was he did vote for the Parkland bill. He voted for gun control. Um, he has always voted for higher taxes, which is crazy. He just got done voting for Florida's single largest tax increase in the form of an online sales tax. 
Oh, and I heard about so, that. Yeah. It's like, but, and by the way, the whole online sales tax, what's crazy is their whole reasoning for that was because, oh, we lost a lot of revenue due to COVID. So now we need to tax the people even more so that we can build our revenue back up. I'm well, sorry. Sounds like Governor Murphy. A, yeah. <laughs> we're still recovering from this pandemic that, you know, you guys closed us down. You made it so that the service industry employees couldn't work when you closed the bars and restaurants down. And because you didn't get sales tax after that, you're going to implement a new tax. Again, that's our conservative legislator. And that's an embodiment of that all um, and right. legislators like him. And so on top of that, he has also skirted term limits. He's We have term limits here in Florida, but what the actual term limit says is eight consecutive years on either the House or the Senate. So what he did is he did a few terms in the House, then went and did his eight consecutive years in the Senate, and now he's back and can restart his time in the House. And so mm -hmm. now he's going to have been in the House for six more years. So we're talking about being in the Florida legislature for like up to 20 years at this point. Wow. No, that's crazy. So tell me more about your district, though, like District 52. Like I noticed that's, you know, Commodore Central Florida. I mean, you're not too far from Sabatini, I, I imagine. So like, just tell me more about the area. And, um, you know, if you I, I don't know if you started knocking doors already, if you started reaching out to people within your district, you know, considering you recently announced your campaign. Like, what's that experience been like so far? And like, what, what's the sentiment? What's the sentiment among the voters? Yeah, so that's a good point. Um, district 52 itself is an awesome district. We have Melbourne, and then the, it was, the Indian River Lagoon comes right down the middle, and then we have the barrier, you know, beaches, the beach towns from Satellite Beach down to Melbourne Beach. And so it's just a very Florida area. Um, just everyone's out on the waterways. Um, everyone's going to the beach. It's a great place to live and be. We have some of the, like, Brevard County itself, the county that my district in, is probably like the freest county. We were one of the only counties in Florida to not even vote if we were going to have a countywide mask mandate. Like they didn't even have the vote. They were just like, no, um, straight <laughs> off the bat. And the mayor wow. of Melbourne is a super Liberty guy. He said in a podcast a couple months ago, the only reason he ran is because he hates government. So it's like, and that's the there biggest city in my district. So I'm like, and we have, um, you know, we have like the largest branch of the Republican Liberty caucus in my county. We have the founding chapter of Moms for Liberty in Brevard County, which they're just doing a phenomenal job. And they have some chapters now up in New Jersey as well. Um, they're trying to fight things like critical race theory in our schools and getting Liberty School Board um, candidates selected. They're just doing awesome things. And they were founded well, right here in my district. So we have some awesome, like the Liberty movement is so strong where I live. And the sentiment for having an establishment puppet as a state representative, there's, there's no taste for it. Everyone's over it. I have not yet met a single person that's like, oh, yeah, that Almond, he's a great guy. Um, let's vote for him. Everyone's like, no, we need someone who's going to be pro-liberty. We need a, someone who's going to be a fire starter and who's going to go up to Tallahassee and fight for our liberty and conservative and our constitutional values. And that's what my district's all about. So I'm happy to be able to convey that message and push that message further and hopefully take it to Tallahassee. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you definitely seem like a much more principled guy, but, you know, because like, Obviously, like with everything in history and you know, even with political parties, you know, things change, people's perspectives have changed. You know, again, I like to do a little research and like on all the potential guests I have coming on before mm -hmm. you know, I bring them on. I mean, you and I definitely seemed a lot more aligned than I first imagined. Um, I, like I noticed like, well, actually, let me ask it this way. 
what makes you different from a stereotypical Republican? Like, I mean, for me, like, just for me, for example, like, I'm a bit more liberty-minded, you know, definitely fit more into that Ron Paul camp. I mean, I was part of Yale for over, like, two and a half years, so <laughs> how could yeah. it not? But um, what, what makes you different? Like, I, I've seen you share, like, you know, um, articles from Mises Institute, from other liberty guys, like Phil Bishop in Florida. Like, wh yeah. what makes you different from, like, your typical Republican? Well, first off, I get I got to give a shout out to my guy, Phil Bishop. Um, he's doing an awesome job. He is he's exactly the embodiment of what the Republican Party of Florida should be. Oh, he's um, and I'm really proud to, to note, though, Bishop. Um, but to answer your question, yes, like being a, a fan of the Austrian School of Economics, you know, all of our Republicans claim to be free market economists. And then when it's time to prove that they go, ah, let's just spend more instead. Let's out. Let's spend ourselves out of debt. I, it doesn't make any sense. Let's print more money. Let's like raise modern monetary theory, essentially. Exactly. It's like, how are you a free market economist again? Exactly. So, no, I'm I love the Austrian School of um, Principle of Economics. And that's a huge difference between me and the majority of Republicans, because they say that they're free market economists until anything happens. And then all of a sudden they're not free market economists. Uh, the state of Florida just had its single largest budget increase as well to, you know, take advantage of their single largest tax increase that we just right. had. So that's just a standard um, thing that makes me different from most Republicans. Also, again, as a big Second Amendment guy, most Republican politicians are like, you know, I support the Second Amendment. I support your right to go hunt a deer. And Boy. it's like, but that's not what the Second Amendment is about at all. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's like, and they, and, I, and it's funny because like I've talked to legislators, right? Like there's been... Mm -hmm. Like, just again, I don't want to invoke Yao too much into this, but, you know, essentially, like, I've talked to legislators before to get them endorsed by organizations such as, you know, the Operation with the Door campaign and other liberty-minded organizations. But the problem was when it came to the constitutional carry question, for example, I've seen them vote no on it. And I'm like, right. but they literally were boasting about, like, how they were supported by the NRA, supported by all these gun rights organizations. And I literally asked them, like, on a follow-up call, like, hey, what's up with this? Like, how come you voted this way? Like... Did you misread the question? You know, tried to give them the benefit of the doubt. And they're like, oh, no, I read it pretty clearly. I'm like, wait, so I basically tell them just like professionally, like, just give me rationale. Like, why? And yeah. they're just like, oh, I believe in the Second Amendment, you know, NRA endorsed. But, you know, I don't feel like that, you know, the people should have, you know, all the types of guns in the world. And, you know, it's going to be like the Wild West, which turned out to be objectively false because there was a lot of gun control during the Wild West era. So even that rationale just didn't make any sense. So it's just like, who really supports the Second Amendment? Like, how far are conservatives willing to go when it comes to it? You know, like, I mean, in your case, like, there's not, like you said, there's not many conservatives in Florida that, you know, really support the Second Amendment as much as, you know, they say they do. You know, what, what's going to be different? Do you feel that, you know, with not just yourself, but other potential liberty minded candidates that could be primary, you know, establishment Republican candidates, given that happens in 2022, do you believe it's a realistic possibility that constitutional carry will get passed through the legislature and ultimately signed by Governor DeSantis into law? Um, I think it's a realistic possibility, but it's going to take an insane amount of work. It's going to take um, a combination of getting some of those people elected. It's going to take getting someone elected to our state Senate that is willing to say, I don't care. I'm filing constitutional carry, um, at least getting it into committee so that, you know, we can at least watch them kill it in committee and take it to the next level. But the other way that I'm fighting that besides just running for state representative is I'm actually the founder and president of a gun rights organization here in Florida that is trying to push constitutional carry, push activism for the second amendment. 
And what we're actually doing is um, you already have the, some of the gun organizations like Gun Owners of America um, and Nash, you know, National Association of Gun Rights and stuff have lobbyists. And then you got Florida Carry, who's our state level um, group that was actually founded because I don't know if you know this, Florida's only one of three states that has no open carry whatsoever. Hmm. Only three states really? in the union. And Florida, our, this so-called conservative state, the free state of Florida has no open carry. One of only three states. Um, so that Florida carry got founded off of that, trying to get open carry passed. So they're kind of our state level um, gun rights organization. And right. they do a great job um, and they have a great legal team. But you can lobby and sue all you want. But if you have, um, if the people aren't loud, A, and if you don't have the legislators that are willing to listen to those loud people and those lobbyists, then it really doesn't matter. It's going to fall on deaf ears. So um, my organization does two things. It's called Protect the Second, and you can check it out at www.pro-second.org. But basically what it does is um, we identify, train, and get candidates elected that are going to be no compromise pro-Second Amendment. And what we also are working on doing is building an, a loud voice and making the gun vote relevant again by right, getting everybody right. hyped up. And we really want to go into the 2022 legislative cycle. Um, when Anthony Sabatini files constitutional carry for the last time in 2022, before he goes to Congress, we want to take hundreds of people up to Tallahassee with our protect the second shirts on and the lobbyists from all these organizations on one day and go, are we loud enough yet? Hundreds of people are here in your office saying, give us our second amendment rights, make doing the calls, going to their home offices when they're out of session before they go up to Tallahassee and getting our voices loud. It's very unfortunate. We shouldn't have to be loud. Um, and some, we haven't been loud because it's our constitutional right. And so people right, who are right. pro-constitution and pro-gun are going, well, why do I need to be loud? It's my constitutional right. They're supposed to be protecting it. They swore an oath to the constitution, but they're not. So oh, unfortunately we have to be loud. And that's what my organization is all about. We just founded it in January and we're really growing it right now. And that's our goal is to go into Florida's 2022 legislative session hard. Well, yeah, that, that's fantastic, honestly. Um, wow. I mean, I felt like we've covered a lot of stuff so fast, but honestly, like, this is really exciting what's going on in Florida. Yeah, um, I almost don't know what to say, really. I might edit this part out, to be honest. But, um, yeah, no, no, this is this has definitely been great. Um, you know, obviously, I mean, I guess just to wrap things up, you know, this, again, we just went over everything really, you know, pretty straightforward, pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, where can people fi find you on social media? Like, where, uh, where where can people find you to uh, follow you or support you? Yeah, right now, I'm just doing everything on my Facebook page. It's just Chandler Langevin for state representative. Um, go ahead, check it out. Um, like my page there. If you just want to add me as a friend, use Chandler Langevin. Um, and I'm just doing everything right there for now. Our website's going to go live soon. And you'll be able to find that if you follow me on Facebook. All right, fantastic. Lil Chandler, thank you so much, honestly. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening in to um, you know, this episode of the MCAS podcast. Um, I have links in my social media in the description down below. Um, it's also going to be on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify. Um, I also even have a Patreon to you know, help, me, you know, help support me in getting more liberty-minded candidates and activists like Chandler Langevin onto the show. And um, Chandler, thank you so much for coming on. It's definitely been a great conversation. I'm really excited on your campaign. And, um, you know, I wish you the best, especially considering I got I got personal friends working for you. So uh, I'll definitely be rooting for you. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on your podcast and vote for liberty. Yep. Thank you, Chandler. All right. Take care.